Our reading today is Matthew 13, 24 through 52. Again, Matthew 13, 24 through 52. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds... You root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered every fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Yes, thank you for the mention during the time of prayer. So I am moving a little bit stiffly today. I threw my back out late last night. Um, I'd like to say I was doing something heroic like rescuing a child from a falling tree branch, but no, I just twisted like this, and all of a sudden my entire lower back seized up. So moving a little bit more slowly, but the Word of God is unhindered. And friends, we look at Jesus' parables here, and what we hear from Him today is, I wish you were here. I wish you were here. How many times have you gotten a postcard that had something like that on it? I wish you were here. You know, we get these postcards with, you know, like that one. There you go. With beautiful pictures, beautiful scenes for us to look at. And usually the phrase, I wish you were here. You know, postcards are are small. There's just a single picture here. It's not meant to communicate everything that you've seen or experienced on the trip that you've been on. Postcards offer us a glimpse but not a panorama. We get to see a a little glimpse, a a taste to kind of whet the appetite of the recipient so that they too might desire and start to understand what you have seen and experienced on your trip. By design, postcards are glimpses of a destination meant to make the recipient desire more. And friends, the parables that Kevin just read for us are postcards. They're postcards from the kingdom of heaven. They're glimpses, they're they're tastes that are meant to whet your appetite. They're they're glimpses that are made to make you want more. The series of parables here in Matthew chapter 13, they don't reveal to us the entirety of the kingdom. They give us glimpses, small pictures of the kingdom, just enough for us to know that the destination is beautiful. Just enough. To leave us wanting more. Just enough to leave us wanting to say, huh, I think I want to go there. You see, the kingdom of heaven, it's not something that you can really define or explain as much as the kingdom of heaven is something that must be seen and experienced. You know, we've already heard throughout Matthew's gospel that the kingdom of heaven, whatever this is, is central to Jesus' message. Jesus opened his ministry in Matthew 4.17, declaring, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus taught all of his followers to pray in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just a little while later, he instructed his disciples in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. In fact, throughout Matthew's gospel, we find the phrase the kingdom of heaven used 31 times. But friends, for all of the teaching that Jesus gives us about the kingdom of heaven, he never once gives us a dictionary definition of what he means by the kingdom of heaven. And friends, I believe that's because the kingdom of heaven is not something that can be explained 
as much as it's something that must be experienced. Jesus doesn't offer his followers principles. He offers them parables. He doesn't give us terminology. He lets us taste the kingdom. He doesn't give us lists to describe what it's like, but gives us looks so that we can see like postcards revealing little glimpses of the kingdom. Jesus' parables are postcards from the kingdom. They don't reveal to us everything that we're going to need to understand about the kingdom, just like the postcard that you send from Aruba is not meant to show the recipient everything that you've experienced so far on your vacation. It's just meant to give us a glimpse to make us want more. And friends, the other thing that a postcard does or a parable does is that it reveals who's interested. It reveals who's interested. You know, two weeks ago, we studied the first one of the parables that's actually in Matthew 13, which was the parable of the soils. It talks about the sower that scatters the seed, and it's the same seed that falls everywhere, but there's different responses, and the response has to do with the soils. The difference is the soils. Some soil was in a condition to hear and to receive, and some soil wasn't, and the seed revealed that. And in the same way, parables... They reveal who's ready to respond. You know, we've all had those moments, those kind of moments where you glimpse something and you think you've glimpsed something and you turn quickly. What, what did I just see? But you still have a choice at that moment. If you glimpse something, you can say, well, what did I just see? Or you can go, oh, it's not worth following up on and keep moving on. And the parables are like those glimpses of the kingdom. Do I turn and look and go, wow, what did I just see there? Or do I just go, that's not worth my time and keep going. And so just like Jesus was teaching in the very first parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the soils, some hearts are ready to respond. And some hearts, they don't give it a second glance. So friends, the question is, as we glimpse the kingdom through these parables, through these postcards today, how are our hearts moved to respond? We have seven postcards. Seven parables of the kingdom. And as we discussed two weeks ago, the word parable comes from Greek. Para, meaning beside, and bowl, meaning to throw or cast. So these are stories that are cast beside, or we might say comparisons. In fact, seven times we hear Jesus say just that. He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, since the kingdom is difficult to define, Jesus reveals the secrets of the kingdom with these comparisons, with these parables, with these pictures. We read two weeks ago in Matthew 13, verse 11, and Jesus said to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. So Jesus is giving his disciples, his followers, the secrets of the kingdom. He's giving them glimpses, these postcards, to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. And what do we learn? Well, the first and the longest parable in today's passage is the parable of the weeds in verses 24 through 30. And then Jesus explains it in verses 36 through 43. And you see, the kingdom of heaven here is described as a field in which was sown good seed, but then an enemy comes and sows bad seed. And so the question is, what should the owner of the field do? Now, the servants in the parable suggest immediately trying to uproot the weeds that have been sown, but the master makes his concern and his heart clear in verse 29. But he said, no, 
lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Friends, the Master's concern is that none of the good harvest be lost. His concern is that none of the good harvest be lost. Friends, this is the Gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus is a horrible farmer, but a wonderful Savior. He's a horrible farmer, but a wonderful Savior who desires that none of the good harvest be lost. And Jesus makes clear in his explanation. He says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The bad seed are the children of the evil one. And Jesus explains the good seed is going to grow up right alongside the bad seed until the end of the age. And this would not have sat well with the original hearers of this parable. You see, when Jesus arrived on the scene, it was a time of great political unrest. Since 63 B.C., when the Roman general Pompey had conquered Israel, the Jews were an oppressed people. They were anxious to be rid of the Romans. The Jewish people were anxious for a Messiah, a king, who was going to bring his kingdom. And most Jews believed that this Messiah would be a revolutionary like Judas Maccabee, who in 166 B.C. led an army of Jewish dissidents to victory over the Seleucid Empire. The term Maccabees is used to describe the Jewish, used to describe the Jewish army is taken from the Hebrew word for hammer. Because Judas Maccabees and his, and his armies hammered away on the dynasty and hammered away on all traitors. And the Jews of Jesus' day longed for a Messiah like him who would come and drop the hammer on Rome and deliver them. And so they said, good, if a king is coming and brings his kingdom, he's going to drop the hammer on Rome, right? And this parable wouldn't have sit well because the parable communicates that while Jesus is a king and the kingdom has come, Jesus has not come to weed out the Romans just yet. Rather, as Jesus interprets, the wheat of the kingdom grows alongside the weeds in the field of the world until the final judgment. And friends, why would Jesus do this? Because again, he's a horrible farmer, but a wonderful savior. And he desires that none of the harvest would be lost. You see, the weeds that are referenced in this parable are called darnel. And darnel is a weed that looks like wheat. In its early stages of growth. In the early stages, you can't tell the difference between the weed and the wheat. And the danger is, you might uproot something thinking that it's a weed, only to find that if it had remained until the harvest, it would have been revealed as a wheat. So what appears as a weed now, might then be seen to be what it truly is, wheat. And because of God's great love for the wheat, and His desire that none of the harvest be lost, he postpones the judgment until the final harvest so that the wheat might have time. Friends, Jesus desires that none of the good harvest be lost. And this is reinforced in, in one of the other parables that Kevin read for us, the parable of the net in verses 47 through 50. The net is filled with both good and bad fish. However, the fish will not be sorted until the end because Jesus is a fisherman who desires that none of the good fish be lost. 
Both parables emphasize that the kingdom, yes, it has come, but for the time being, the good and the bad are together. The weed and the wheat grow together. But make no mistake, says Jesus, in both of the parables, there will be a sorting. There will be a separation. There will be a judgment. The weeds will be separated from the wheat. The good will be separated from the bad. And the good will be gathered in while the bad in both cases will face punishment. Verse 42 of the weeds, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of the bad fish in verse 50, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, the words are exactly the same. Because Jesus is talking about the same thing. Church, as I've noted before, Jesus speaks more about hell and fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth than any other person in the New Testament. For whatever Jesus is, he is not some hippie, non-judgmental teacher. Jesus warns regularly and repeatedly of impending judgment upon unrepentant sin and rebellion. Jesus warns the weeds, the bad fish, and in verse 41, all causes of sin and lawbreakers. At the end of time, all will be cast into the furnace. Now, this message might bother some today. And it bothered people in Jesus' time, but for a completely different reason. You see, it it bothered bothers us today because we're asking, well, why would Jesus bring judgment at all? It bothered them then because they said, why doesn't Jesus bring judgment right now? You see, Jesus' original hearers, they welcomed a king and a kingdom that was going to bring judgment on evil. Their only question was, why would Jesus wait to bring the judgment upon evil? And friends, the reason why Jesus waits, the reason why there won't be a sorting until the end of the age, the reason why there won't be a judgment until the final day is made clear for us by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, hear the warning. Judgment will happen, but it won't happen now. It will happen at Christ's return. Why? Because Christ is a loving Savior. He's giving time for people to reach out in repentance. Jesus is giving time for the wheat to be revealed. He's giving time for the good fish to be gathered in. Jesus desires that none of the good harvest be lost, that none of the good fish be missed. Church, this parable reminds us that the judgment will come. But God is a gracious Savior, and He waits. And friends, it also reminds us, church, it reminds us that the judgment is not ours, but Christ's. And church, what we need is the Holy Spirit to give us hearts like Christ that desire that none of the good harvest is lost. Hearts that desire that none of the good fish be missed. Hearts that refuse to judge before their time. Hearts that don't, that that will give up trying to weed the field or sort the fish. Instead, hearts that give themselves to sowing the seed and fishing, just as Jesus himself did. Church, do you have the heart of the farmer? The heart of the fisherman? The heart of our Messiah? So we find 
in the parable of the field and the parable of the net, they reveal that Christ has brought his kingdom, but not the way that people expected it to come. And that's actually what the next two parables emphasize. Verses 31 through 33, the parable of the, the, parable of the mustard seed and the leaven emphasize the same point. Jesus here is expected that the Messiah was going to come. The king was going to come. He was going to bring his kingdom. There would be a great disruptive coming. He would weed the field. He'd sort the fish. He'd destroy Rome and every other kingdom. And Jesus says, nope, that's not how the kingdom comes. It's small and subversive. He, he talks about the small, subversive, really unseen nature of, of the coming of the kingdom with the mustard seed and the leaven. In verse 32, he talks about the mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds. Now, we know today that there are many smaller seeds, but Jesus wasn't speaking to give his hearers scientific fact. He was using the language of farming. He was speaking in the common understanding of that day because a mustard seed was the smallest seed that was common to the Galilean farmer. And from that tiny little seed could grow a plant 8 to 12 feet tall. And in verse 33, Jesus says that a small unseen amount of leaven can work its way through and transform a large batch of dough. So both of the parables illustrate that things with small and subversive and often unseen beginnings can have disproportionately large results. In fact, the mustard seed, we, we, we miss this because we don't, we don't farm but the mustard seed that Jesus, or the mustard plant that Jesus describes is actually ridiculously large. When he says here that birds would nest in the branches of the mustard plant, it was unlikely that birds would ever nest in the branch of a real mustard plant. But the mustard plant that Jesus describes here is so large and so ridiculously great that birds nest in it and it shelters many. And in the same way, the amount of dough that the leaven worked through, it's described as three measures of flour. That's probably 50 pounds or 39 liters of dough. That dough would have produced a ridiculously large amount of bread, enough to feed like a hundred people. So friends, both of the illustrations emphasize that despite small and, in, and unnoticed beginnings, there's a ridiculously large and extravagant result. A plant tall enough to shelter many. Food great enough to feed many hundreds. And so church, we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged that even though the kingdom of God and its influence at times might look small and even unimpressive, the result, friends, the result will be unbelievably great. And in verses 34 through 35, Matthew makes clear that all of this teaching, all of these parables, everything that we read here are all a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Matthew quotes for us Psalm 78, verse 2 in uh, chapter 13, verse 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I'll open my mouth in parables. I'll utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So again, these parables are postcards. They're, they're pictures that Jesus is using to reveal the secrets of the kingdom hidden from the beginning of time. Friends, parables are given not for us to puzzle or figure out. They're revelations, not riddles. 
God is revealing to us the kingdom. In fact, the final parable in verses 51 through 52 emphasizes this truth. Jesus asks if the disciples, do you understand everything that's been revealed to you? And they say yes. And he emphasizes that those to whom things have been revealed now bear a responsibility to reveal those things to others. Those who have received treasures into themselves now need to have those who've been trained for the kingdom in verse 52 need to bring out those treasures for other people. Jesus has revealed to his disciples. He's revealed to his church. He's revealed to us, friends, the secrets of the kingdom so that now we can bring those things out and reveal them to others. The kingdom is not something that's puzzled to. It's provided for us. It's not solved. It's actually shown. It's not reasoned out. It's revealed. The kingdom of heaven is a stewardship that is entrusted. It's a secret that's meant to be shared. It's a baton that is meant to be passed, church. Jesus emphasizes to us disciples, these parables are glimpses given to you, postcards sent to you, truths revealed to you, but they're ultimately not for you. They're ultimately not for you. They've been revealed to you to hand on to someone else. They've been given to you that you might bring them out so that other people might see them, other people might hear them, other people might receive them. Church, the gospel has come to you today on its way to someone else. Church, the gospel has come to you today. It's been revealed to you by Christ so that you can bring it to someone else. Jesus has opened his mouth in parables, uttering that which was hidden from the foundation of the world to reveal to his church the kingdom so that we who have been given understanding, trained in the kingdom of heaven, can now share it with the world. And church, what stops us? What stops you? And finally, I saved my favorite two postcards to display at the end. My favorite two of the postcards are verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Friends, these two parables have only one message. The incomparable value of Jesus and his kingdom. Now, some people will stumble across the treasure of Jesus, like the man in the field. And some people are searching for treasure, like the merchant. But the point is, once we find the treasure, we realize that nothing else even comes close. And we abandon treasure searching altogether. Friends, we need to realize that the treasure is not just another treasure. The pearl is not just another pearl. We find that the kingdom, we find that they discover that the treasure, the pearl is so lovely, so beautiful, so magnificent that they recognize that all the other treasures, all the other pearls, everything else is worth less compared to what they've found. This morning, we sang an adaptation of the words of the Apostle Paul. 
the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 what we sang this morning when we said, All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all that I once thought was gain, I counted it loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, compared to the pearl that I've found. Compared to the treasure that I've uncovered, compared to Jesus, there is no greater thing. This is what the Apostle Paul declared. Paul wrote that when he found Jesus, just like the merchant who found the the pearl, Jesus was so beautiful, so wonderful, so awesome, he abandoned his collecting. He sold everything and he gave up searching so that he could have the pearl. Church, I want to conclude with these two parables because we live in a world of counterfeit pearls. Church, we live in a world of counterfeit pearls. Many people will tell you, this is the pearl. That is the valuable treasure that you should spend your life after. Spend your life searching for this, for power, for approval, for wisdom, for possession, for pleasure. However, these postcards that we see sent to us from Jesus, from the kingdom, they invite us to a better destination, to a more real kingdom, to a greater treasure, to a truer reward. When we discover the real pearl of Jesus and the treasure of his kingdom, we realize that all the other treasures were being offered. They're fakes. All the other pearls that were being offered, they're not worth it. They're worth less than knowing Jesus. There is no greater thing. Did you notice how both of these parables, the finder who discovers the treasure and the pearl, has their entire life turned upside down? Friends, we have to understand that finding Jesus is not something casual. You don't add Jesus to your life. Jesus does not become another pearl amongst other pearls in your life. He does not become another treasure to add to all of your other treasures. Friends, you don't add Jesus. You reorient everything to Jesus. Jesus has come not to be just another planet in your solar system. Jesus has come to be the sun. Everything is reoriented around him. The worker in the field and the pearl merchant, their friends must have thought they were crazy because they sold everything. They had to give up every other treasure. A lifetime of collecting, a lifetime of searching, a lifetime of working. They gave it all up. Why? Because they found something more valuable. And friends, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, he reorients everything because we found something so much greater. So much more valuable. And we have to give it all up to possess Him. Jesus will turn your life upside down. But notice that it's not a miserable turning upside down. Do you hear the joy in this parable? The worker and the merchant, they sacrifice everything. It's not begrudging. It's not out of obligation or duty. It's not because they had to. It's pure joy. It says in joy He sold everything. It's the joy of receiving Jesus. And friends, if you're here today, do you want to have that sort of joy in your life? Do you want to have that sort of joy in your life? Then pursue the destination 
that we've seen pictured in these postcards. Pursue the kingdom of heaven. Unlike our postcards that we send to one another, these postcards reveal not just a a vacation destination, but a life destination. And friends, what are you pursuing? What destination to which are you heading that you think is going to bring you greater joy? Pleasure, comfort, convenience, power, approval, possessions. Don't waste your lives seeking these things. Chase after Jesus. His kingdom. The treasure of ultimate value. The pearl of great price. Worth losing all things that you might have him. Friends, the question is, how will you respond? You've seen the postcards. How will you respond now? to these glimpses of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We behold you, God. We sang right before coming up here, behold our God, and that's what we need. We need to behold that you are more beautiful, you are more wonderful, you are more valuable, that we might invite you to turn our lives upside down, that we might sell all things and give up all things and give up our searching for we have found that which is most beautiful, that which is most precious. So Father, reorient our hearts and reorient our lives around Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And may we live for Your glory and that all might see and hear and behold You as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. In closing, please stand with us.